Tom Kearney, News Radio 680 WPTF. Uh, back on the air this past Tuesday after three months away because of an accident. And uh, typically uh, in the years that our program has run, which has been over 30 years, we've devoted Friday night to uh, to trivia. And we're going to continue to do that in, in this resurrection of the Tom Kearney Show. Uh, my brother Stephen is my partner in this. In fact, uh, on my wall is a sign that somebody gave us that says, Kearney Brothers Film at 11. And the reason I mentioned this is because this is sort of what we're going to do tonight. We are going to do a little bit of a variation, doing an experiment on something we want to try in our return to the radio. Stephen, are you there? I'm here, Tom. Uh, did that sound pretty good to you, that we're going to try an experiment tonight? Yeah, I think that's a good way to, to time it, yeah, but uh, it's something we've been talking about for some time, and so tonight we'll get a chance to put it into operation. Well, you and I have spent a lot of time, uh, and I guess one reason that I wanted to have you on the radio with me is because you enjoy doing the same kind of stuff I do, and that is talking about stuff, about history, about uh, facts, about uh, sports statistics and things like that. And so we are going to have what we're going to call just for the Friday nights when we, you and I do this palaver, Kearney uh, uh, Brothers film at 11 tonight. And so we're going to rove, rove all over places, but... but Basically, try to bring up a lot of facts. We we might be turning into kinds of teachers, as a matter of fact. And uh, I recently have tried to conduct a little experiment. In fact, one while I was uh, confined in the hospital with my broken leg, that that found that people react to hearing a lot of information and some good stuff. And so we're going to talk about uh, things that we're not going to take any calls for trivia. We'll we'll probably start back doing that next Friday night. Uh, Stephen, we, we may have trivia, and it may just be me, uh, and uh, we may have a music trivia next uh, Friday night, but we'll have one or the other of those, and, we, and we'll invite our listeners, and sometime later in tonight's program, we'll talk to you about uh, who's going to be on the weekday shows. We're going to have National Weather Service, Red Cross, background for uh, D-Day, and those kinds of things on the weekday night shows next week as we lead up to trivia. But Stephen, you and I have ridden a lot of time in the cars together, and you and I have fun because we we basically kind of rove all over everywhere sometimes talking about the history of something that, that maybe we know about, maybe showing off for each other a little bit in terms of recognizing trivia. And I recommended to you that tonight that we, we talk a little bit about a subject that we've talked about several times, and that is the history of the National Basketball Association. Are you still up for that? Oh, yeah, sure. Of course, Tom. Yeah, and we can sort of wander all over everywhere else, too. Uh, uh, one of the things that we ought to say about big-time professional sports is, is that except for baseball, big-time professional sports really did not exist on a very great scale until after World War II. And once the war was over, uh, baseball, of course, returned. A lot of the players who had been in the Army and Navy and so on came back. Uh, but that was about the time of the formation of what would become the background of the National Football League and what would become the background of the National Basketball Association, both which would experience great growth, great growth in the uh, 50s and 60s. Are you all right with me so far, Stephen? Sounds good to me, Tom. Well, about the time we got our television down in Goldsboro, before you were born, uh, the National Basketball Association was um, beginning to solidify itself to, to some extent in the form that it is in today uh, in terms of the, the, the teams that were actually in the league. I think in 1958, the winner of the most points in the league for that year was a man named George Yardley, and he played for the Fort Wayne Pistons. 
Now, there are no Fort Wayne Pistons in the league now, but there are Detroit Pistons, and it's, it is the same team having moved from Fort Wayne to uh, to Detroit. Fort Wayne, a man named Fred Zalmer owned a company that made Pistons for the uh, for the uh, automobile trade, and uh, he owned the we team. Talk. Tom, I was thinking about the other day whether or not there was a sort of a natural flow for if you had Fort Wayne and Pistons because the automobile industry, of course, in Michigan is huge. And, uh, you know, there's a steering wheel plan and there's something in Flint and there's something in Fort Wayne, obviously. But was it natural to call the Fort Wayne team the Pistons? And quite obviously it would be. It would be. And, and I can remember the games were... A broadcast on a station, a 50,000 watt station like WPTF, WOWO in Fort Wayne, and you, one could hear in the games down here before Fred Zollner's team decided to track off. There were there was a, some real considerable realignment of the teams beginning at that time, and that's one of the things we've had fun talking about because there's at least one team. I think the team that was in uh, Rochester, the Rochester Royals, have moved. Uh, around the country, and there have been about five different places, and maybe we can get you to sort of outline that. But let's talk about uh, the teams. Uh, I don't know if you have a list or not, Stephen, that existed. I think there were eight teams. Uh, I'm not sure I can name all of them, but certainly we had the New York Knickerbockers, which still exist, the Boston Celtics, which still exist. There was a team in Philadelphia called the Warriors. Uh, there was a You're team in... Pardon me? You're doing fine, Tom. There was a team in, in Syracuse uh, called the Nationals. There was a team in Rochester called the Royals. I think the Chicago team was maybe called the Bullets. Does that sound right to you? I don't think the Chicago team was part of that original eight. The one that I would add to it is the, the Minneapolis Lakers. Minneapolis Lakers, yes. And that's one and of the things. Syracuse Nationals. Syracuse Nationals, exactly. And uh, one of the things about the Lakers is that... Uh, that they their their nickname uh, lives on, although they're not in Minneapolis. But that's one of the things that we thought was kind of cute about it, and I think sometimes a lot of people do, because the Minneapolis Lakers moved to where, Stephen? Los Angeles, Tom. And, of course, the reason for the Minneapolis Lakers is, I think this is one of the state mottos, is that it's the land of a thousand lakes. Obviously, right. And if you're in Minnesota, you can be a Laker, because there are a lot of lakes. And there, it was the home of one of the first great stars of the NBA, a man named George Mikan, who didn't have a lot of agility, but he was a big guy, and he mastered the footwork that one needs to play the post, to play inside. And uh, as would be the case with football and with uh, baseball, uh, the, the, the sports that had been mostly located on the eastern half of the United States, uh, like uh, the furthest west baseball team in in, until uh, uh, 1957 was the St. Louis Cardinals, who were sort of right in the middle of the country. Uh, and uh, the, there was a movement to the West Coast because it, it had grown greatly in population, and there was a big market to be there. And we would see expansion in baseball, in football, the Los Angeles Rams, for instance, and in moving the Los Angeles Lakers. And what team, Stephen, moved to, uh, to San Francisco? Well, ultimately, the Philadelphia Warriors moved out there. Uh, ultimately, the Philadelphia Warriors, in fact, moved moved out there. And so, uh, the San Francisco Warriors, and then because they were not necessarily located in San Francisco, I think they were located in one of the outlying regions, they became the Golden State Warriors. 
right? And they still exist in that form today. And so what, if, if I'm toddling along here and you want to interject something, just please jump in there. The, the, you know, the, sport... the, the Western migration you mentioned, of course, we have Minneapolis. I always like to think that the aqueducts are sort of man-made lakes, Tom, that, uh, out, of, out in L.A., so we can still call them the Lakers. But, uh, you know, you begin to put teams out west because there are people out west and that people are going to go see the games. They're going to come spend money. Again, an important point. There are going to be teams, and we just named, of course, the Lakers. We've named the Warriors. Um, other teams moved, though, Tom, of those original eight. You mentioned the Royals at sort of the top of your comments, and they started in Rochester, but they didn't stay there. And uh, one of the things that made the always made the story of Rochester and the, the team called the Royals kind of interesting was that uh, just before they moved, one of their great players, a man named Maurice Stokes, Stephen, I think you may know the story of Maurice Stokes, uh, had a, a, essentially a, a something like a stroke, and it, it, it incapacitated part of his brain and ultimately would kill him at a very young age, but that drew people's attention to the to the Rochester Royals. They uh, moved uh, to uh, Cincinnati, where they were able to draft one of the great NBA players of all time who was already in Cincinnati because he played for the University of Cincinnati in his collegiate years. And who am I talking about? Well, the big O, Tom, Oscar Robertson. Right, who was uh, big enough to play the the, the, uh, the forward position but uh, agile enough to be a guard and, and was one of the great all-time players uh, of yeah. uh, the NBA. You, you and I, Tom, said at one point in batting the ball back and forth to one another, that perhaps Oscar Robertson was Michael Jordan before Michael Jordan. And he he would be a great image uh, uh, to to model oneself after. Uh, having said that, Stephen, we've got to take a break, but uh, let your mind roam a little bit and come back and we'll talk about some of the other teams that moved and some ways in which the National Basketball Association, Association grew and what uh, a person like Bill Russell may have meant to the NBA. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. The Tom Kearney Show on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Here's Radio 680 WPTF, the Tom Kearney Show on a Friday night. I think it's May 29th, 2020, and uh, Tom Kearney here with my brother Stephen Kearney. Are you there, Stephen? I'm here, Tom. As you know, uh, I've told you this, Stephen, and, and I've always been amused by this, but People who like our show, and I think there are a fair number of them, always tell me that they're, well, some of their favorite shows are when you and I are together. Now, uh, you and I are 15 years apart, but our DNA came from the same place, and we sort of like the same things. And a lot of that is information, whether it be about Civil War or Major League Baseball or the NBA or whatever. And tonight, I, we're trying to... I just, sorry. I just like to know things, Tom. I, I do, too. And and like to share them with with uh, with other people, so we're kind of taking a walk around a lot of facts and a little bit of history tonight. And so far, we've talked a right good bit about the NBA, and we will talk some more. Uh, but we will uh, return to our uh, regular uh, Friday night trivia next week, and occasionally do a show, which we're calling this uh, the Carney Brothers Film at Eleven. Uh, Stephen. Uh, about the time you uh, mentioned earlier that we got our television was about the time that uh, the uh, the Boston Celtics, who were one of the original eight teams, drafted uh, or actually they traded for uh, 
the draft rights to a guy named Bill Russell, and they traded a, a one of their players, a guy named Easy Ed McCauley, and a couple of other people, uh, and got uh, Russell, and that was to be one of the boons to Boston basketball and to the NBA because I think the they went on the Celtics did with Russell at center uh, to win eleven championships in thirteen years and. Uh, and well, Bill, Tom, they. They stole Bill Russell, I think, didn't they? I mean, it depends on how you look at it. But uh, a little background, uh, Bill Russell had gone to the University of San Francisco, and then over a period of two years, they'd gone, uh, I believe, 60-1 and one or, or something to that effect. Anyway, they won 60 straight games, setting the record that was only broken in uh, uh, 1973 uh, uh, and 74 by the UCLA team with Bill Walton. But you had uh, Bill Russell there, and Russell was one of the great defenders, rebounders, shot blockers, passers that ever played the game. And um, the uh, Boston Celtics, Red Auerbach, figured out a way to trade some players, a couple of good players, Tom, but nobody liked Bill Russell. No, and uh, he his defensive play sort of uh, remade the league and uh, the, the, the question of what was a... Uh, 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 improper blocking of a shot when it was shot by the other team. Uh, uh, it, it was redone, and they also, at this point, uh, widened the, the lane so that uh, they could keep big guys like Russell from controlling the game by just standing in the lane and batting the ball away when it came in. So, well, Tom, let me, let me add something a little bit to this. Uh, you're correct, Bill Russell uh, with the Celtics and Bob Cousy and Tom Einstein and John Havlicek, they won 11 of 13. Uh, the two times they did win, Tom, I believe, were the Syracuse Nationals won in 55, and I think the 76ers won in 67. But, you know, there's another factor out there that uh, affected how the NBA was developing, and that was the fact that uh, Will Chamberlain had come along. And so there was the great offensive force. Uh, Chamberlain, for many years, held just about all the offensive records there were, and a lot of the individual records, whereas, and he probably would have liked to have had a whole lot more championships, but Russell, with the team play of the of the Celtics and all his defensive work, ended up having the most championships. But when you got Russell and Chamberlain on the same court, you got to make it wider or do something. Right, exactly, and there were numerous battles with Russell being the, uh, the greater defensive player and Chamberlain being the greater offensive player. In fact, uh, if I remember, it was during 1962 that Russell, uh, not Russell, Chamberlain scored 100 points in a game uh, at Hershey, Pennsylvania. And that was, I think, one of the last years that the Warriors played in Philadelphia, and then they moved out to the West Coast. And you had, I believe, uh, it was the uh, the Nats team, the Syracuse Nats, I think, is the team that moved to Philadelphia to become the Philadelphia 76ers. Does that agree with your reason? Right, and uh, that's where Chamberlain won the first of two championships that he would win, 1967. The Nationals, the Syracuse Nationals had moved to Philadelphia to be the 76ers, the Philadelphia Warriors having moved previously, as we've mentioned, to San Francisco. Right, and there, there was a lot of uh, movement going on then. I, uh, if I can tell a personal story, and that's one of the things that we we're going to have when we have something like this is to let our personalities come out a little bit. Um, I was in uh, school at Wake Forest, and I, 
I lived in a dorm that, that a number of athletes lived in, and I can remember winning a one dollar bet over uh, the Milwaukee Bucks because uh, uh, I don't. In, in 1954, I think, or 55, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks drafted two players, one of whom would be a great significance to them and one who would not. Frank Selvey was the player. I think he played for Furman, Stephen, if I remember correctly, and he scored can a I, lot of points. Can I interject something here, Tom? Yes, you may. At that point, they were the Milwaukee Hawks. Well, that's what I wanted to say. They were They were the Milwaukee Hawks. And they drafted Frank Selby, who was a great scorer, and also a guy named Bob Pettit, who played at LSU. Uh, and uh, Selby was probably the better known because he was a prolific scorer. But uh, they played in Milwaukee, I think, one or two years, and then they moved to St. Louis, where they would be about seven or eight years, and then they would move to where, Stephen? Atlanta. Atlanta, where they've been the Atlanta Hawks ever since. But Bob Pettit was a, was a great... Uh, junk man. I remember going to see him play in a game in Winston-Salem, and he's the kind of guy that when he was out there playing, you'd get to the game, you'd talk, well, Pettit didn't contribute much tonight, and all of a sudden you'd realize he had 29 points, uh, 14 rebounds, etc., because he was always scrambling around the basket. Frank Selby, I think, lasted only a couple of years before he was gone, but I had one dollar, I won one dollar betting that there was a team called the Milwaukee Hawks at one time, and my colleague did did not believe that such a thing had had existed, but of course the Hawks have existed since then. They've had good years and bad. I don't think they've ever won a championship, but they've been competitors. Oh, they didn't. Uh, they they were replaced in in Milwaukee by the Bucks uh, some years later, and the Bucks did win an NBA championship with a player named Lou Alcindor, who became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Right, and he was still called Lou Alcindor, I think, when he when he was with the Bucks before he transferred to the L.A. Lakers and so on. We're talking about the National Basketball Association and kind of how it scrambled around to to develop a character as it began the movement away from the, the uh, pretty much being sealed into the Northeast or the the industrial Midwest to, to the West Coast of the United States. And there are just about as many teams in California now as there are in, uh, in uh, 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 a section of the of the Eastern League, and uh, as a matter of fact, I'm not sure, Stephen, that I could name all of them. In fact, I'm pretty sure that I couldn't name all of them. But uh, anyway, that's uh, some of the development of the National Basketball Association. Um, any other teams that you can think of, Stephen, that, that made the move? They, there was at one time a team in Baltimore called the Bullets, and I think they may be the Washington Wizards, or am I wrong about that? Right, yeah, they, they were the Baltimore Bullets. And actually, I think they had a life somewhere else, Tom. I think they came, uh, I'm trying to figure out where they came from to, to go to uh, uh, to Baltimore. May, it would, they, I think it would be a Chicago or a Buffalo. Buffalo had a team called the Sabres at one time, uh, and, uh, and and they were trying to get a team for Chicago. And as we know with the story of uh, Michael Jordan, they did get one, and it was called the Chicago Bulls. Stephen, we need to stop right now. So when we come back, we can continue along this line or, or uh, go somewhere else. We'll have to talk about why there's a team in Utah called the Jazz and why there was a team one time in New Orleans called the Hornets that was there, and then it was not because it's in the town where you are right now. But in the meantime, we need to check the news on WPTF. <laughs> Now 
9933 in News Radio 680 WPTF. And do join Mike Rady and company for the weekend gardener tomorrow morning between 8 and 11 here on WPTF. Tom Kearney here on Friday night, back for the first time live since uh, late in February. A, a, bit, a little bit of an accident. I ended up breaking my left leg and having to spend some time uh, re- rehabbing myself. Uh, but uh, we're back to bring you some live and in real time radio. And we're trying an experiment tonight. Instead of our usual trivia, my brother Stephen and I, who usually end up doing the trivia, are just kind of meandering across the, the world of sports and talking about some things that that we talk about when we're driving along the road in the front seat of our car and, and seeing which one another person could remember and hoping to plant some information in your head so that you, you'll go back and maybe want to look up. Well, I mentioned Maurice Stokes a little earlier. You might want to look up him or the big O. A lot of younger people don't remember uh, uh, Oscar Robertson. And uh, Stephen, are you still there? Still here, Tom. Okay. Anything, any direction you want to go? I think the direction I want to go is that the Lakers and uh, and the uh, Celtics uh, kind of dominated uh, the NBA up until about 1990. I can remember, I think it was 90 or 91 was, when when the last time the Larry Bird Celtics really uh, dominated, but he was Larry Bird was always contesting with uh, with uh, Magic Johnson, and that's something well, that bring, best. I'm sorry, let go me ahead. bring you forward a little bit from 1990, if I could. Go ahead. Uh, you know, Kobe Bryant joined, and uh, Shaquille O'Neal, and uh, I think they added five more championships from 1990 to the present. And. Uh, uh, one of the things that has fascinated us too is is uh, athletes like uh, uh, Magic Johnson who have acquired a nickname that becomes their name. Now, what was Magic's real first name? Irvin. Irvin. Yes, uh, and uh, there were any number of other players. Uh, Stephen, who was the Ice Man? George Gervin. And that that's another aspect of the, de- the development of the NBA that. Uh, it really becomes apparent in the 1990s when they uh, have George Gervin and they draft a couple of other fairly significant players, uh, David Robinson and my my uh, fellow Wake Forest person, Tim Duncan. You know, and Tom, uh, during this period of time, we had, as you mentioned before the break, we had some movement, which is of interest. And uh, back about 1974, we had one of the first NBA expansion teams, and that was the New Orleans Jazz. I think we can understand why they would be called the Jazz playing basketball in New Orleans. Uh, but for financial reasons, as you'll know, Tom, uh, they eventually moved to Salt Lake City and became the Utah Jazz, and they've had a lot of success. They had uh, John Stockton and Carl Malone, and you and I were trying to figure out where was the Jazz in Salt Lake City. <laughs> exactly. The, the name, it's like the Lakers' name, uh... It doesn't seem appropriate, but of course it's a continuance of what went before, and as the jazz does. And one of the things that that uh, you know, just playing around with trivia and things as we do, we would ask, what was Carl Malone's nickname? Well, of course, Tom, he'd be the mailman. He was the mailman, and why did they call him the mailman? Well, he always brought the mail. Delivered he delivered. He, could deliver. he delivered. <laughs> That's the thing that uh, I like about this now. Our, if I may, you know, I may also you to talk about teams that moved uh, from Vincennes Junior College to the university. I'm sorry? Go ahead. Hello? Hello? 
from Vincennes Junior College, Tom, to uh, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, to the boss, to the Buffalo Braves, Tom. We have Bob McAdoo. Yeah, he played one year at Chapel Hill, but I think they they got a championship that year, and he right. He, well, no, actually he, they didn't. He, he went to the Final Four. They lost to Florida State. We didn't get a chance to play Bill Walton, but the Buffalo Braves moved out to. San Diego became the San Diego Clippers and ultimately became the Los Angeles Clippers. It seems like if you get a team in in San Diego and it doesn't do well for a while, it, it migrates football or basketball. Who knows? Well, who knows? Maybe even baseball to to the LA area, which is well, that's a bit of a compliment to San Diego, Tom, because there's just so much to do. And if you got a chance to be out on the beach or at the waterfront in San Diego, do you want to really be in a basketball arena? No, and and, and you, like me, I'm sure, I've never heard anyone who had spent any time in San Diego at all who didn't think it was probably one of the greatest places to live in the United States. And so, but anyway, uh, we did end up with the Clippers and a whole bunch of teams around San Francisco and L.A. Uh, that were the California this and the California that uh, as the... Uh, uh, the, the, the things changed and, and so on, and, and there's been a much greater proliferation of which team. There haven't been teams uh, that dominated for a long time, like the Celtics did or like the Lakers have done in in recent years. Tom, we the the NBA expanded as you got into the '70s and '80s, and we got uh, the Vancouver Grizzlies, so we actually went across north of the border, and the Toronto Raptors, and uh, Vancouver actually moved uh, back to the United States while Toronto won a championship a little over a year ago. Now, where is Vancouver now? What are they calling themselves this week? Well, Vancouver uh, doesn't have a team, uh, NBA team any longer. That team moved to Memphis but kept the name the Grizzlies. I guess there are Grizzlies in Memphis. Oh, they, they could, that's, that's what I meant. When, when Vancouver gave up its team, where did it go? And so it went to Memphis. And there are Grizzlies in Tennessee. That, that, would, that would be something that could happen. And along about that time, Tom, uh, at the same time, the NBA added two franchises, the Miami Heat, uh, a lot of basketball played down in Miami, some good basketball, and the Charlotte Hornets, Tom. Now, well, that's what we've got to talk about, because we've talked about New Orleans, and the Charlotte Hornets were there uh, at a time that, that you just mentioned they were added. That would be when, in the 70s? 1988. 1988, okay. And eventually the same thing worked against them. They did not succeed in in uh, paying in, in Charlotte, so they moved to where? To New Orleans. They moved to New Orleans and uh, for many years played as the New Orleans Hornets. And I guess, again, there are probably Hornets down in New Orleans, and Hornets, of course, being uh, the stinging insect, uh, you know. But uh, eventually uh, Charlotte was awarded another franchise, a, a gentleman uh, that owned a television network, um, uh, was able to get a franchise put back in Charlotte, and they were called the Bobcats. Well, now we need to stop for just a moment and point out that historically the name Hornets, as a nickname for team, had been associated with teams from Charlotte all along, because during the Revolutionary War, uh, when the American colonists were defending themselves against the British troops in the South, they encountered a British force that that attacked Charlotte and kind of got stung, or I, I guess that's what you would say. And when they asked the, the British general what happened, he said, well, the, 
the darn place was like a, a pack of hornets. And so the name Hornets have, has been identified with Charlotte since then. But, of course, it had tracked off to New Orleans when the team had moved. But eventually they would get that name back. Uh, I think they had to buy it in some sort of settlement, uh, as a matter of fact. But the team in Charlotte now, which is owned, I think, in part by Michael Jordan, is called the Charlotte Hornets. Right. He uh, was able to purchase the name and the colors, if you will, back. And uh, that worked out because they're New Orleans, there's nothing about the Hornets that really tied them to New Orleans. And the franchise down there was doing fairly well. And so they changed the name there to the Pelicans. You can find a Pelican in New Orleans, uh, Tom. Yeah, uh, indeed and, you can, yes. And then uh, and the Hornets came home, so to speak, to Charlotte. The Bobcats changed their name back to the Hornets and adopted the Hornets colors. And that's where we stand today. Well, something else I want to take a look at in the last quarter of the program, because we're going to take a break here in just a moment, is uh, talk about some nicknames. You know, you and I have talked about doing a show about nicknames where we have players like uh, Boog Powell, who who his nickname has virtually become his name. Another one would be Pee Wee Reese. So let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Is that all right with you? Sounds good to me, Tom. When we come back. Well, we're going to take a break. Before that, let me say that Monday night... Nick Petro of the National Weather Service will be here. Monday is the official opening day of the hurricane season. And uh, dealing with the weather of the hurricanes, uh, Nick's, one of Nick's jobs is to make sure that we in the media and you as listeners understand exactly what's going on. And uh, so we, we'll hear about that and, and how to plan for hurricanes. Tuesday night, uh, we're going to uh, talk about the Red Cross and how it's going to have to deal with uh, the possibility of uh, disasters on the coast because of things like hurricanes, while at the same time we're dealing with the with the virus, so to speak. And uh, so that will be on Tuesday night. Wednesday night, well, back a number of years ago, we would have had uh, days just prior to June 6, 1945, 44, excuse me, 44, when we were preparing for D-Day. So Dr. Joe Cadell, our resident military historian who's been with us Oh, 30 plus years now is going to talk about the preparations for D Day and it's exactly what was going on just prior to June 6, 1944. And next Thursday night, uh, kind of a nostalgia program, and we'll be talking about the necrology that uh, has disappeared. Dr. Edward Funkhauser, while we were away and weren't having our necrology, which is a, a pre- presentation of a list of people who have died, but who deserve to be remembered, uh, Dr. Funkhauser continued to collect the list, and he will be with us on next Thursday night, next Friday night trivia. We'll be back with Stephen and Tom Kearney Brothers right after this. The Tom Kearney Show on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Uh, uh, green Onion, Tom Kearney on the Tom Kearney Show. Friday night, uh, May 29th along with Stephen Kearney, trying an experiment. Uh, we've typically done trivia on Friday night, and we'll continue to do trivia. It seems to be one of our more popular programs, and we welcome your listening any night, but particularly on on, uh, on uh, Friday night. But tonight, uh, Stephen and I had been discussing doing some variants on, on the show, and uh, we're doing a little run across, uh, well, we've been talking mostly about the National Basketball Association and some things oddities having to do with 
the movement of teams and the growth of the league and those kind of things. We're going to devote the last quarter of the program to another topic that we've found and that I enjoy playing with, and that is uh, athletes. And it could be not just athletes, but celebrities who have acquired names that have become their virtual name instead of the one that their mother put on the the, the birth certificate. Uh, Stephen, are you there? I'm here, Tom. I'm think- let's let's see if we can get a baseball team of players who had nicknames that became their names. And well, the first baseman one for me would be Boo Powell, or it could be Moose Scour. But in most cases, we would need to come up there with their real name. And can you think of a second baseman, shortstop, or anything like that? When you had mentioned Pee Wee Reese, Tom, and I can never remember, he's a shortstop, isn't he? He was a shortstop for the Brooklyn Dodgers. And uh, uh, do you, I think his name was uh, Harold. It was Harold Harold Reese. Harold Reese, right? And uh, Boo Powell's name, of course, was was John, and Maurice, and Moose Scourin's name was Bill Scourin. He played first base for the Yankees and for a couple of seasons for the for the LA LA Dodgers. See, can you come up with a second baseman? No, I'm having trouble with that one. Um, I can tell you cool. one if you if you're ready. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm not go sure ahead. I know his real name, but Pumpsy Green for the. Uh, Boston Celtics, uh, not Boston, Boston Red Sox. Uh, and he was unique for another reason with the Red Sox, and can you think of what that would be? Uh, actually, I couldn't, huh? He's the first black player to the Red Sox. The Red Sox were the last team in the major leagues of that time to have a black player when the, the leagues were integrated. Of course, we start with Jackie Robinson in about 1947, and in, I think, 1959, Pumpsy Green became the first uh, black player to play for the Boston Red Sox. They were the last team to have an integrated uh, roster. Well, let me make a confession, Tom. I try hard to not think about the Boston Red Sox as much as I can. I know, being <laughs> like your brother, a sort of a, a Yankee fan, but we, we we became Yankee fans because your grandfather was a Yankee fan. Well, I'm a Cardinal fan, too, and I had to deal with those Jokers in 1967. I had to deal with them again in 2004 when they swept the Cardinals. Watch out now. You may step on the toes of some Red Sox fans. I want to tell I'm you a story about the, I want to tell you a story about the Cardinals. Okay. Now, I think the national assumption, the natural assumption, and then we can come back with, you know, to, to uh, some players like Red Shandings. I I'm not sure what his first name was, but it was his mama didn't put red on the birth certificate. I don't think, but the the, <laughs> the uh, hair, Tom. Uh, yeah, yeah. But what was his real name? Is what I'm saying, not the red hair. But the the Cardinals, it is you know naturally assumed that it has something to do with the birds. But I've read a story that said the reason the Cardinals are called the Cardinals is that the man who started the team got a deal on a whole big amount of red cloth like Cardinals would wear. And they made the, the, it was cheap, and they made the uniforms out of this red material. And somebody observed that they looked like the Catholic Cardinals. And so they were called Cardinals, not because of birds, but because of religious gentlemen, and uh, and because they wore a color that a Cardinal would wear. But of course, they've adopted... I think a couple of of, uh, clerical Cardinals sitting on the end of bats just wouldn't sell. (laughs) No, no. But they have uh, cardinals on their bats, and I think that uniform is one of the longest standing to not have experienced major changes on that particular uniform where they have 
the crossed bats on the front and the birds sitting on the bats. And uh, I saw that back to to the nickname thing, but the the Cardinals is one of the great team nicknames since the Cardinals. You know what that is, right? You mean Redbirds? Gas House Gang. The Gas House Gang. Well, they were called that back in the 1930s because they were kind of a rowdy bunch. And Leo right. DeRocher was the manager, and one of the greatest players was a man named Dizzy Dean. And, and they just seemed to have a lot of fun uh, playing. Uh, and uh, the rowdiness connoted the, the Gas House Gang. Uh, you know, there's a famous story, and this, this kind of program allows us to do this, Stephen, to pick little pieces out. But there's a famous story about Dizzy Dean who played for uh, the Cardinals. He was only a... I think he was playing in the All-Star game or something, and he was on first base, and he, the ball was hit to the second baseman or the shortstop, and he was running in the line uh, toward second base, and the baseball hit him in the head, knocked him out, and they took him off the field on a stretcher. And the next morning, the newspaper in St. Louis said, X-rays of Dean's head revealed nothing. Of course, they meant no injury, but... Uh, there were people that doubted whether Dizzy had anything in his head or not. Now, there's a player whose nickname became his name, Dizzy. What was his real name? Oh, I know his brother's name, but I don't know his. Well, his um, real name was Paul, his brother, but his real name was J. Hannah, Jerome Hannah Dean. And he was from Mississippi. And uh, so. He was a pitcher, wasn't he? He was a pitcher. He's the last National League pitcher to win 30 games, and that was back in 1934. Uh, we've got just a couple of minutes, so we've got time to get a couple more uh, uh, players in whose nicknames became their real names. And one of my favorites was a guy, I bet you never heard of him, Stephen, who played for the Philadelphia Phillies in the late 40s and early 50s, whose name was Puddinhead Jones. No, don't, don't remember Puddinhead. Yeah, well, he, his real name was Willie. But uh, they called him Puddinhead Jones, and that's what everybody knew him at, knew him as. Let's see if we can come up with some other players, though. Well, for instance, one of the greatest players whose nickname became his real name was Yogi Berra, because that's not his name. That no, was his name. Yeah, and, and the cartoon bear came after him. Yes, Yogi. Yeah, the the one with the picnic bags, packed baskets, and so on. But his real name was. Hold on, got to his real name. Hold on, hold on. Yogi's real name was Lawrence Peter Barra. Let's go now. Uh, Leroy Page. He'd be a pitcher, wouldn't he? Yeah, and his his nickname was Satchel. Right. And we we turned that one on, on its head. But let's see if we can yeah. come up with a shortstop or, or a catcher other than Yogi Barra. Well, of course, uh, one player, the most famous and maybe the greatest of all baseball players, was a player who did not use his real name as his moniker when he was on the field, but in fact was called always by his nickname. And who are we speaking of? George Herman Ruth. Babe Ruth. That's right. George Herman Babe Ruth. He was he was was a babe when he I think he looked like a babe and when he first played for the Baltimore Orioles and they were a minor league team at that time. Of course he grew up in in, in Baltimore and his father was a an innkeeper and so on. Well, I've had kind of fun kicking this stuff around tonight, and I'm hoping that somebody will end up at their computer saying, uh, the Kearney Brothers film at 11, we're talking about this tonight, maybe uh, it sounds kind of interesting to me. The idea was to, as you're driving home or as you're locked in by the current situation with the 
with the virus that you were in some way amused, uh, entertained would be a, would be a good word for it. Uh, Stephen, I think uh, I hope you had fun. And we had our, our producer. We were breaking him in tonight. JT has done a good job for us. A, a few technical glitches, but really not uh, something that he had a lot of control over. So we, we had a good night tonight. Stephen, I'm going to uh, to uh, hope you will call me after the program here at the number that you have, and right. and uh, I will bid you adieu now because we need to slip out of here. Uh, Monday night, we're going to talk with Nick Petro of the National Weather Service about the hurricane season coming up. The Tom Kearney Show on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF.